0: This episode of The Capsule in Conversation is brought to you by Harrogate Springwater. Harrogate is the home of the British spa and Britain's premium natural source water. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Capsule in Conversation. I'm Natalie Anderson, and today I'm joined by presenter, author, and entrepreneur, the fabulous Andrea McLean, to talk moving on, mellowing out, and melting through the menopause. So settle down, turn us up, and get ready to join in with our conversation. Hello all, I hope you're all well and have had a fabulous week. I have just about managed to erase the toll of the winter lockdown and I'm ready to start a brand new month and a brand new phase of the year. And someone else, who's also stepped into a new phase recently, is today's very special guest. She's a stalwart of daytime TV anchoring loose women and GMTV, a Sunday Times bestseller, and in more recent times, the founder of online empowerment community, This Girl is on Fire. She's the good girl who's been making waves for women and the menopause for the last five years. It's the amazing, it's the wonderful Andrea McLean. Hi, Andrea
1: oh my goodness can can you just follow
0: me around (laughs) that's amazing what an intro thank you so much that's you that's who you are you know i'm so glad that you're with me today it's such a real joy to have you so thank you so much for joining me oh not at all not at all really looking forward to our conversation yeah me too i mean how are you doing the last 12 months has been pretty seismic for everyone but for you personally you've made some huge decisions in that time. I mean, you've obviously moved away from Loose Women very recently. And how are you finding both adapting to kind of the new normal and your new, your actual new normal? The
1: past 12 months has been pretty seismic for everyone. It's, this time last year, uh, you know, the whole world went into lockdown and like many people, my world changed in an instant, obviously, all my other work disappeared like it did for, for so many for so many people. Um, I had been working on a book which was all about what it 's like to overcome burnout, breakdown, um, toxic relationships, things that really weren 't working uh, in in my life and the the tools that i 'd managed to find to overcome all of those things. So, I was in the middle of writing a book. And so for me, 12 months ago, I thought, right, okay, this is what's happening. The kids had always laughed at me that if there was ever any kind of apocalypse, I would be the one that would be the first to go because I'd be the one running around waving my arms in there going, <laughs> But Actually, when it happened kind of in real life, I, I really surprised myself by how I reacted because I became very practical and all it became about was protecting my little unit, just making sure everyone was fine. So as long as I knew... Right, the kids are okay. They're, they're homeschooling. Uh, suddenly the house is very crowded. My husband, who's used to working on his own at home all day, suddenly found all these people around. So that was <laughs> quite hard for him. So I dragged the laundry basket into our bedroom, plopped the laptop on top and carried on writing my, my, my book and managed to get it finished. And it went on to become a Sunday Times bestseller, which is it's just so wonderful. It was so wonderful because what I didn't realize is everything that I had experienced the year before was everything that people were experiencing now. And so I was able to sort of offer up tools and tips and and also a personal experience. But what that led to was I'd already been running the site, This Girl's on Fire for, it's coming up to three years now. All it was, was a free online blog because I, I'm much like you, you know, when I hear great information, I want to pay it forward. I want to pass it on. I want to help women just feel better about themselves. And Hey, guess what I just heard, take this. And that's what I was doing. So it was totally a not even non-profit. that we didn't have a bank account. It was just a, a company that we started as an umbrella term for this, this, um, uh, this online blog. But with this, with the success of the book and also the way, the dynamics has sort of changed during the pandemic and that everything was stripped away. It really got me asking myself some really deep questions as in, okay, I'm 50. I'm turning 51 this year. This is, this is proving to me that you, you get one shot at life. And there were so many decisions that I'd wanted to make and I'd I'd been waiting for the right moment Mm. to come. And I realized that there are all these people who are way smarter than I was, would have made all these forecasts for what was going to happen in 2020 and how they wanted their business to go and this sort of thing. And the rug got pulled out from under their feet. And actually I thought if all these people who are way smarter than me were making plans, why don't I just do it now? because this proves that you don't know what's around the corner. So instead of waiting for the perfect moment, there is no perfect moment.
0: There so isn't. I
1: came, came to the conclusion that actually, I want to dedicate myself full time to this thing that was happening on the side. And there were so many reasons I kept it to the side. The main one being imposter syndrome. I felt that I know it's my passion. I feel like it's my mission, but I'm too embarrassed to hold my hand up and say, this is what I want to represent now. It's something I've been actually working on for probably 10 years or so in with, um, you know, my own work on myself and and helping other people. But I was too shy to say, this is how I want to do things. And I realized I needed to take a deep breath and just be brave. So Nick and I sat down and we worked out very logically leaving a job that you've done for two decades and it's all you've ever known really to to absolutely turn right and do something different is a very emotional experience as well as a very practical one so we sat down and we wrote right what is the worst thing that could happen? Okay, I never earn a penny. We have to sell the house. We may have to sell some children. could oh, <laughs> sell the dog. Um, do you know what I mean? It's like, what is the worst thing that could happen? And we, we went right the way down through the list. And for me, once I knew that actually I had coping strategies in place for every worst case scenario, and I'd already looked them in the eye and thought, okay, I can live with that. Yeah, I could live with that. Yeah, I could live, yeah, live with that as well. Let's do it. So I jumped and it is the most euphoric and terrifying experience at the same time <laughs> yeah. because you feel you, you, you jump but it's like, what if I fall and face plant? But then it's, what if I fly? And mm-hmm. I don't know if you can see, I've got this picture just behind me On I'm in my office at home. And it's a quote that it's one of my favorite quotes and Nick got it made for me one Valentine's uh, day. And it just says, what if I fall oh my darling? What if you fly? And that's become my sort of mantra. So in a very long winded way, I'm so sorry, I give really long answers. That's how it, the past 12 months has gone. And that's how it sort of got me to where I am now, which is now, I, I hold my hand up and proudly say, yes, I'm, I'm a female entrepreneur. I, I'm the head of a, I like to call it a, a gym for the mind, where basically we, we show women how to retrain their thoughts so that they don't feel stuck and trapped and scared. And it, I kind of feel like I'm in the front going,
0: me, guys. yeah like you're yeah. the to- like you're the one with the flag and you know what yeah, Andrea that's yeah. really what I love and really why I absolutely wanted to talk to you because it's a very similar audience that kind of we have at the capsule and I you know when I've read your journey starting right back in Trinidad you know when you were a young yeah, girl yeah. and your childhood there you're out there with your dad he's an engine was an engineer out there and you know that's yeah, where you spent yeah. much of your youth and then you know, moving back to the UK and going through some pretty horrendous bullying in your teens, you know, in Leicester, Leicestershire. Mm -hmm. And that, your journey of becoming, like kind of getting rid of this good girl image of what like things, you know, that you've referred to as yourself and coming through to where you are now, literally when you've just said that, I've got goosebumps going, I'm so proud of you. Like, I'm so proud of the fact that you've been so open probably sometimes without maybe wanting to but being so open about the things that have happened to you in your life the challenges that you've had and that's why so many women are coming to you and looking to you for help because you've lived it and you've breathed it you know and I mean if we just go back to those early years and that those early teenage years you know would you say at that time you were you know I've heard you say before you were a people pleaser do you think that that start, that stemmed from those early years of not wanting to be bullied
1: No, they stem before that. And it it comes from, I think, uh, being the eldest daughter of two sisters, um, being, I think it's such a common thing. Uh, I had very, very loving, but strict parents. So uh, you kind of, you knew where your pecking order was as it were. So I was a sensible older sister. So it was, It was natural for for me to want to do things well to please my mum and dad. And I learned very, very quickly that that was how you got approval. And I think that's a generational thing as well. You know, if I I was good, if I helped with my sister, if I was neat and tidy, if I did my homework, you know, and I grew up never wanting to disappoint them. And I I don't see that as a, that's not a a failing on their part, that's just general parenting. And also, my sister and I are so different and we, we laugh about it now because Linda actually works with me uh, on oh. this Girls so Fire, which is, a, which is wonderful So we work together. Um, and we laugh at how differently we reacted to the same, basically the same, the same sort of parents. She was a lot more mischievous than me and a lot more naughty, whereas I was a lot more straight. So I think it, it actually stemmed from there. And what's interesting, I lived overseas for all my, uh, all my life until I was uh, nearly 15. And when I, when I walked into a normal comprehensive school in in the Midlands, I was a white girl with a black girl's voice. I, you know, I had a, a proper, beautiful, sing-song Caribbean accent because that was where I grew up. You know, I'd been there since I was I was literally four weeks old my sister was born out there we went to normal schools out in in trinidad so you know i used to talk like that i used to have a real kind of up and down kind of accent that was my identity (laughs) but walking into a classroom in the midlands people were like who the hell are you and what have you come as? and people don't like anyone who's different it doesn't matter what the reason is you could just dress differently these days and you'll get bullied and interestingly, I didn't get bullied just because of how I looked and how I sounded. Now, bearing in mind, I also had chronic acne. My mum used to cut and perm my hair. So uh, I swear it was like some kind of head chastity belt my hair was so horrible <laughs> it was she'd cut the fringe first and then permit and I and my mum had trained as a hairdresser in the 60s but working oh. on old ladies and she'd never progressed beyond that so I had old lady nana hair anyway so that was me in the Midlands. um I actually started getting bullied because I stuck up for a girl who was being really bullied oh. I just stepped in and went what are you doing? Just leave her alone. She's clearly not ever going to fight you back. Just come on. And that was it. They left her alone and it was me. But I never, I never tried to get on their side, if you like, mm. or because a deep part of me understood why they were doing it. And there was an acceptance to that. And I thought they don't understand me. And uh, I will carry on being myself because they never will understand unless they take the time to get to know me, which I'm open to, uh, this will carry on. So I kind of accepted it. And what was weird was when the bullies were on their own, I got on fine with them. Mm. And I, I, actually, I actually liked, a, a, you know, quite a few of them. Um, but there was one girl in particular, as kind of the ringleader, who disliked everything about me. But again, I just thought it's because it's just because you don't, you don't know me and this isn't how my life is going to be forever. So I focused on all the things that I really enjoyed. Um, Even though they were very nerdy and they got me picked on. I loved, I was in the debating team at school. I was in the public speaking team. I was in the drama group. I did local (laughs) amateur dramatics. I volunteered. I did. I worked for the local newspaper on my free time doing stuff for free. All the kind of stuff that was kind of right pickings for bullies. And I genuinely didn't care because I thought they're gonna pick on me anyway. Why why stop? See, now as an adult looking back on a teenage girl having that attitude, I'm amazed.
0: Yeah, I don't I am know as where well. that came from. <laughs> I don't
1: know where it came from because now I look at my daughter who's the same age, you know, she's 14, and she twists herself up in knots, trying to, you know, fit in and draw the and I, I'm I'm trying to show her that actually if, if people don't like you then they're not gonna like you anyway so mm. you carry on being yourself but again i think times are times are different if i could bottle what i had and drink it now as a 51 year old woman i wish i could
0: do you know those those tools, though, that you learned at that time? And like I said, even just that kind of going, okay, this is gonna happen anyway, so I'm gonna put my energy into other things. Mm-hmm. You know, you've clearly brought them for- forward along with you on the journey. And you mentioned there about, you know, doing amateur dramatics and being, you know, in, in like in entertainment, I suppose, at school. Did you yeah. have, you know, when you were younger, because you trained to be a journalist? Did you, did you have aspirations of being in the public eye or being on television? Shall we say? Or was it really just more of you wanted to study journalism? You know, what, what were the passions? It, it happened by accident,
1: but um, th- I think, I think there are two sides to all of us, and uh, I fed both of those sides. I'm an introvert. I really enjoy my own company. I like being by myself. I feel very uncomfortable in, in sort of loud, noisy places where everyone's being a bit too in your face. I don't, I don't thrive on that at all. But I also love performing. And I've loved, since, since I was a mouse in Cinderella and had to sing La Cucaracha <laughs> when I was six, <laughs> I've loved being on stage because I love that feeling of, I can still picture it right now. I can literally see the room. And I can remember it was me and someone else had to sing this little song being in Cinderella because I was a mouse. And I remember the applause at the end and seeing all the parents smiling and thinking, oh, this is great. I love this. All you need to do is, you know, learn your lines to your song and perform and people really like that. That's brilliant. So I did, I did school plays right the way throughout my, my school life. And then when I went to college, I did, um, I actually did a history, politics and international relations degree, but I was in the, um, the musical society. I mean, again, how nerdy, but this is the flip side of my personality. I love it. It's Uh, not nerdy. uh, (laughs) This is my language.
0: (laughs) But I was also in
1: the rock society. So we used to go to like these, Heavy metal concerts, just jumping around and screaming and shouting. And I loved it. Um, going to see like Bon Jovi and Aerosmith and all this sort of stuff because this was in the 80s. Um, but then I was also in the musical society. And I loved the, the camaraderie, the teamwork, the, 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 the absolute joy that comes with putting a production together. And because mm-hmm. it was, you know, it was college. I went to a poly, it's a university now. You know we were all involved in painting scenery and da, 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 da. i loved it so it was such great training anyway in terms of teamwork collaboration understanding that uh any kind of creativity you're all i like to think we're all cogs in a machine mm. and every cog is important it doesn't matter whether you're a big cog or a teeny weeny one it's everything you do plays into the, the bigger part so but I also enjoyed, I've loved writing ever since I was little. And when I was little, I, when I was from the age of 10, I used to write my sister's bedtime stories and I would write her a little story and I would read them to her, you know, to, I wish I could find them. I don't know where they are, but. Um, so I was kind of working both those sides of my personality, but really my dream was was to write. And I I had done this history and politics degree because I was told it was a good, way to get into journalism but I loved a lot of people on my course and I loved my course but there were some people there who were using it to get into journalism and they were quite shouty and opinionated and I just thought if this is what you need to be this is not who I am so I actually I went traveling for a year I worked for a solid year saving up money I had three jobs on the go at once I worked in an office during the day a shop on Saturdays and a pub at night and I just Spent one full year saving, saving, saving. And then I went away and I worked my way around the world as well, working in bars and this sort of stuff. I was even an astrologer at one point. I <laughs> Every job sort of going. And then I came back, I became a freelance travel writer. Yeah. And my local newspaper wouldn't take me on. So I ended up, I, I applied for a course in London. I put everything I owned in the backseat of my car. My parents were living away. They were abroad. And I lived in a really horrible little bedsit and applied for every job going every journalism job going and I accidentally applied to be a weather presenter
0: I was just about to say and then you can come into weather which is a really really hard kind of job you have to know a lot don't you yeah and what was so funny was
1: when I turned up and I realized what I'd done I thought it was so funny because (laughs) I had just seen the word journalist and not noticed all the other stuff in the job application because when you're you know when you're trying to Make it. You you're applying to every and everything. It's like actors saying they can do fencing and horse riding. You know, you're like yes, yes, I can I'll do it. I'll learn. Yeah, so that was what I did. I didn't. Yet, I didn't get that job, but they they kept me on file. And I ended up. I I did get a journalism uh, job, and and it was it was great. But. I actually got promoted too quickly and I ended up being production editor, which is where you're in charge of making sure everyone's copy comes in on time and this sort of thing. And I didn't like it because there's no creativity in that. And the universe must've been listening. And I got a phone call two years down the line. "Um, I'm new to this job. Your tape has been handed to me as someone who was good at an audition two years ago. If you're still interested, do you want to come in? And I thought, I haven't got anything to lose, so I might as well. And I had already taken the day off because I had a job interview in the morning to work on Just 17 magazine. Again, this is oh. how long ago it was, <laughs> um, which I bombed at. I did the worst job interview and I still feel embarrassed now when I think of it. And in the afternoon I did the audition or the interview rather for the Weather Channel and I got that job. And I, I was offered a month's work and I quit a full-time staff job for a month's work I just took a gamble and it paid off
0: I ended oh, it up it really did didn't it you I know, loved it it turned out I loved it it was great and also you know from there you then move across to GMTV and present the weather and then move your way up to then co-anchoring and then obviously move into Loose Women you know obviously that's across a number of years and you know sure. that just didn't happen overnight, but as you say you know you took that gamble and you you were brave again another moment in your life Andrea where no I'm doing it I'm brave and it's paid off you know for you but obviously Loose Women is a slightly different kettle of fish because on Loose Women it's notorious that the presenters are very open now was that something that at that time you were prepared for and you know did you still feel like, you did you feel that maybe you had to put a veneer up or did you just go into it and think, okay, this is the way it's going to be?
1: It, that's such a good question because I'd, I'd spent 11 years on GMTV, and, you know, I had joined as a weather presenter and then, because I'd had this training with the, with the, the, the weather channel. Um, but then I went to the bosses at GMTV and said, look, I'm actually a trained journalist and I'm, I'm very good at feature journalism. I'm not a news journalist. So what i did was i spent a decade honing my craft in terms of taking the the journalism skills that i'd learned because i you know i'd gone to journalism college i had after uni and you know had worked for two years and then i transferred that to an on-skill interviewing but there's a very different skill set in in that kind of presenting to doing news simin so whilst yes i knew i knew how to host a live tv show i knew how to interview people when you work on a show like Blue Women, you're you're asked to be completely of yourself, and you're asked to bring your total self to work. Whereas any other kind of presenting, you're asked to do a job. So your job is to um, interview this person, get the show you know on time to your ad breaks, and do all this sort of thing. So it's like you're you could be a a, a bank person or working in a supermarket that's your job so you don't necessarily tell everybody what's happening in your life at home or anything else it's very very different so when I first joined I tried to keep that bit going but it doesn't it doesn't work and to be honest for the first six months that I was there I was so scared I didn't know what I didn't know why I had been given the job I didn't think I could do it um I cried every day on oh, my way home from it. work because I just felt so so overwhelmed by how huge the job was. I'd also just had a baby. I went back to work after twelve weeks of, of maternity leave. Oh, um, I know that
0: feeling. I did the same and that is horrendous. It's so hard. I totally understand that how you would be feeling up and down at that time.
1: Well and also I was doing both for the first year I did both jobs. So I was getting up at, at three thirty in the morning. Um, doing breakfast television and then literally going straight on and doing uh, loose women. And I was still doing night feeds and we'd moved and I, I was in still a fairly new relationship. It was, there was a lot going on. So I, yeah, I cried every day on my way home. And what I actually did, this is where the acting came in, was I pretended every day I, I would arrive and I'd go on set and as soon as, you know, the, the, the music would start and the lights were on, I would act being an anchor. And I just did what I felt an anchor would do. And I asked those questions, and I was this, and I came out to time, because I knew all those skills. And so in effect, I was faking it. And it, But it wasn't faking it until I made it. It was faking it until I became it.
0: Mm-hmm. And then I
1: realized, actually, it, it's starting to become, it, it's almost like learning a dance. It had become a natural thing. And I realized, actually, I can, I can peel that layer off now because I'm, I'm doing it. And it was, it was a real transition learning how to open up about myself. But I tell you what, doing loose women was the best training ever for doing what I'm doing now, because there are, there aren't many people who are used to talking so openly about themselves and not being afraid of the fallout. And I've had 13 years of training of, of doing that. And, it's not that it's not that you it's not that you're not scared that people aren't going to like it it's that you actually accept that some people aren't going to like it, but you're okay with it and actually that it's built that muscle for me now that honestly ask me anything and i'll and I'll answer you you know it, it's it, whereas there's a lot of people who are in the public eye where they're so frightened that, that people might find out that actually they're scared or they 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 that they have a past that they don't necessarily want people to know about because it doesn't fit with their brand or any, anything like that all of those things are understandable but i don't have that because everybody knows everything so actually it's really freeing so
0: i don't have that and, and you know in those early days as you said ben you know that's kind of one of the questions i had for you was that some of your counterparts on the show were louder and very opinionated and, you know, could be quite polarizing. And so did you ever have that moment where you were kind of on brand as Andrea that had come across from GMTV and just really wanted to go, I want to say that, you know, did you have those moments of quite, you know, frustration as well at times in the early days?
1: No, um, because I'm also a Libra. And my biggest problem with arguing is I can always see the other person's point of view. And I might not agree with it, but I can Mm. see where they're coming from. And it's really irritating because even when I feel really strongly about something, I go, yeah, I can really see your point. I really don't agree with you, but I can see where you're coming from. And actually, that is a perfect personality for being an anchor, because what that means is the the brilliant thing about loose women is that they all of the women are so steadfast in their views, and that's exactly what you need. And I always saw, when I was doing loose women, I saw myself as a conductor, so there would be... Too much noise coming from bass. You lower that down a bit. We're not hearing enough of that. So you bring that up. And and it's all about making a perfect sound so that actually what you're doing is you're bringing in all these different opinions and all these different viewpoints so that you've brought this well-rounded thing in eight minutes. And that was how I saw myself. So for me, it was never about what I really thought. It was about what's, what's a gap that needs filling here? What's an opinion that hasn't been put into the mix so that actually what we're bringing is this well-rounded thing. And yeah, okay. Some, there were some times when I just think, Oh, for the love of God, that's just a, that's just nonsense. Um, But I would only ever bring that out as my opinion if I actually felt that it was a hole that needed filling and it happened to be one that I had. Otherwise I find it actually really easy to, see lots of different sides and bring those opinions in you know the mistake lots of viewers would make is think that i thought those things i don't think those things my job is to put those opinions forward don't get me wrong there was a few times the red mist would start to come down (laughs) you know and i just think oh my god you're being so rude um, for me it's all about rudeness it's not about yes. opinion it's about rudeness you can have the most outlandish opinion in the world but if you put it forward in a measured way I'll 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 listen to you I might disagree with you but I'll listen to you for me it's about rudeness um and but I can count on half or one hand when I've when I've let that the emotion kind of take over but otherwise no no I didn't
0: and as you just said then you know at least women can get quite emotional and you've you know as you said you've you've shared everything on there, you know, absolutely everything, which has been so brave of you and has put you in the perfect place for where you are now with This Girl Is On Fire. And, you know, as and what you just mentioned there as well, bringing different pieces in, what you can share with your platform. Now, as we talked about very early on, when you actually decided to make that big change and go, right, I'm gonna now dedicate myself to this whole entity and that imposter syndrome cre- crept in. Mm. How, you know, how have you managed that? Because you know you've got the tools, you know that, that everything is there, but you still kind of go, oh, I'm out of my comfort zone. How have you managed that? It's a, it's
1: a work in progress, if I'm really honest. And I don't think imposter syndrome ever leaves you. Mm. And I think once you accept that, actually it makes it a lot easier because you don't think that you arrive at this finish line where it's like, oh, I'm done. Oh, okay, now I fixed everything that had bothered me, whether you know you know i i I still have anxiety. I still have moments where I can feel my mood dip, I have moments where I feel overwhelmed, I have moments where I feel imposter syndrome, but I also have moments where I feel euphoric when it all comes together and it all works, where I feel just such peace and contentment that i'm I'm working in a space that I really love um that I feel so much fulfillment when I see the joy that I'm bringing to other people. And, and that moment where you see the penny drop and they go, ah, oh, so I just need to do this. It's like a parent where you've, you've taught your child how to ride a bike. It's wonderful. So for me, it's accepting that actually all of those things are part and parcel of your whole experience rather than when you're feeling so in your shadow side, if you like, which I did when, you know, I had a breakdown in 20, in, in 20- 2018, I get confused I was at 2018 or 2019, whenever it was, a couple of years ago. Um, it's because every sense was overwhelmed and everything became too much. And I think for anyone who's feeling imposter syndrome or all of all of the, the things that we've mentioned, for me, the, the joy that I get is to show that I've been exactly where you are. Mm-hmm. I know exactly how you're feeling right now. And it gets better. And I'm not saying there's some kind of euphoric utopia on the other side, it's not, it's still life. Actually, nothing changes apart from your perspective. And once you change your perspective, everything starts to click into place. Because I know, you know, to the I, I, I talk about this in, in This Girls on Fire, the, the book, to the outside world, I was absolutely ticking every box when it came mm-hmm. to the definition of success. You know, I had this amazing career I was hosting an an award-winning, ratings-winning show and had done for 13 years. I was the longest-serving anchor. You know, I was respected in in the industry. I have a beautiful, lovely marriage. My kids are all fine. What the hell did I have to moan about? But inside, I was absolutely falling apart. Everything that could be going wrong mentally was going wrong. And I realize now actually it did because your brain is so powerful. I think I actually fell down because some part of me realized I was actually in a position where I was with someone who was strong enough to carry me, whereas I had been carrying everyone else for for various reasons through through different difficult moments in my life. Um, and again, once I came through that, there isn't. You're not suddenly fixed, but you have you have a toolbox. You go, ah, okay, I'm starting to feel overwhelmed now my in my toolbox is to be able to say to the people around me do you know what I'm starting to I'm starting to feel like this so I'm gonna need to take a little moment so this I know we had loads scheduled in for for next week but we're gonna need to reschedule those things because I need space to breathe and if I don't I'm going to fall down and I think I now work with my husband which is really (laughs) testing (laughs) And it's really beautiful and it's really empowering. There's nothing more lovely when, when we're, you know, we're talking about the business and we're, you know, so excited, but then we're also working together. And that's really, those boundaries get crossed all the time. But I think um, because he saw what happened when I had held it all in and tried to be this good girl, tried to cope with everything, tried to keep smiling. He saw what happened when, all of that came crashing down. I'm now able to say to him, I, I can feel things starting to build a little bit again. So I'm going to need a little bit of space. So uh, I'm going to go for a long walk or um, again, it might sound silly, but I'm even going to take 10 minutes. I'm going to sit in the garden. Uh, clearly now it's spring. I can I can go and do that. But or even go and lie down for 10 minutes. It, it, I just need to take a little bit of space. And I think that's the most powerful thing that you can do is speak up I didn't speak up for years because it goes right back to childhood. Mm. I wanted to be that good girl, that older sister who, yep, I can do that. I can, I can handle that. That's totally fine. And I realized I'd become like this kind of brittle Stepford wife who uh, was short (laughs) circuiting.
0: And it's like, yeah, it's kind of, um, I, it's like the, the unravelling almost, you know, ultimately that something will topple and something will fall down. But again, your bravery in actually sharing that because, you know, the conversation around mental health has changed dramatically in the last decade. But, you know, 10 years ago, even that would have been a huge, I mean, a terrifying thing to even admit. And now with people like yourself being that brave in the in the public eye and just, and in a way, obviously it's not It's not normal, but normalizing it and making it so that other people f- feel like, oh God, it happened to her as well. You know, I'm not alone. I'm not strange. I'm not weird. Because they're the, they're the thoughts that happen, aren't they? When when you are in that dark place, you do feel very alone. And it's about making people feel part of the group, not isolated, isn't it? Yeah.
1: And, and I think that's, again, where th- that muscle that I was building Through working on Min really helped because I had postnatal depression after having my my daughter. So uh, she'll be fifteen this year. So it was it was that long ago. I didn't breathe a
0: word to anybody. I didn't
1: tell a soul. And I remember, I remember I broached it once with her father, and uh, his response was not good. And um, I instantly it was like a snail poking out of its shell going, I'm actually, and I went, right, okay, lesson learned. You never mention anything. You'll get shot down in flames. Keep it to yourself. And I, in the end, I, I very quietly went off to my GP, broke down in total bits. And this was two years later. I'd been holding it in for two years. And she said, it's very obvious to me that you're you're suffering from postnatal depression, but I think actually there's there's a whole lot of other stuff going on. And she helped me. Uh, uh, I was put on antidepressants. And actually, they were a game changer for me. And I, I was only on them for a few years. And, and I'm not on them anymore. But that I was so ashamed of even going to the doctors and saying it out loud, because they know me at the doctor's, I'm Andrea off the telly. Mm. And I felt that she would think that I was lying because you see me every day smiling and being amazing. How can you, how can you be thinking that, but actually she didn't react that way at all. I didn't even tell the, you know, the, 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 my daughter's father that I was on them because I knew the reaction would not be good. He just thought I got better and I hadn't actually, I was, I was taking antidepressants, which were, lev- you know, my levels were all over the place. and. I don't want any woman to ever have to do that. Uh, The same thing with having therapy. I had therapy, obviously, after I had my breakdown. But I put that off for a very long time because there was so much shame surrounded with, why can't you cope? What's the matter with you? Just, you know, pull yourself together. Again, what have you got to moan about? And my family are not the kind of family that go to therapy. We're very much a pull your Bootstraps up or whatever, or whatever you say, and you know, and do it that way. And when I first told my parents that I'd had it, their reaction wasn't great. Um, but I, I just kind of stuck my chin out and was like, "This is not about you. Mm. Uh, this is about me. This is about something that I'm going through, and actually, it's really helping." So I hope you can see that I know you love me. So if it helps me, then that's all I ask. And now we, we, we chat about it, and I, I, again, it was just something I did for a period of, of time. But I'm really open about it because, again, I don't want any other, well, man or woman, to feel so embarrassed about, you know, Googling therapists in my area and ringing up and making that first appointment. Don't be scared. Don't be ashamed. It makes such a difference just having someone to speak to who is not attached to your world. And actually, all they do a lot of the time is offer a detached opinion mm-hmm. and in a measured way because they don't have that emotion attached to what you're what you're going through. So I would I'd recommend it to everybody. I think I don't know why we're so scared about it.
0: I think, yeah, it's definitely something that we've all been conditioned with. I remember when I first did my capsule event, because I'd struggled with anxiety, again, very privately. I never spoke to anybody about it. I just thought, oh, mm. you know, even when I was working in a really high profile job, I was just like, oh, if, if you mention this, you're a liability, they'll get rid of you. And that's how yes. I felt. That's exactly how I felt. And so I never breathed a word. And that's mm. how I ended but up. Actually,
1: if I can just interrupt, that's a real fear. Yeah. It's not that you were overreacting or anything like that. That's a real fear because there could be someone higher up the food chain that will go, Yeah, if she's feeling a little bit wobbly, get someone a who's stronger. And you're it sounds really unpc, PC, but this is something that could be very real. So it's it's entirely justifiable to feel that way.
0: Absolutely. And that's what I mean is I kind of I I heard these things, these whispers. You do in Tellyland, don't you? You hear it, mm. you know, it's 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 it is a very fickle and a very um quite toxic place at times and so I remember my first capsule event and I was on stage and I said to my ladies that had come hi I'm Natalie and I struggle really badly with anxiety and literally all the ladies were like oh me as well and me and me and it was the most liberating experience because what I'd been yeah. holding on to for so long I suddenly felt like oh I'm in a group I'm, I'm not I'm not ostracized I'm not the only one and so many people from that event actually came to me and said that was really helpful. And that's the same with like, why I admire you so much, Andrea, is that you do have this platform and have now built an actual community and platform where you're sharing this information, which is so vital and valuable to so many people sitting at home, feeling alone, feeling frightened. And it does take some bravery, but have you found it liberating now that you can go, oh, I don't need to worry about that now, because not that you don't need to Acknowledge it, but that yes. it's out there so you can live it now anyway
1: In in terms of that sort of thing 100% and I talk about it in in every interview that I do I talk about it when I'm when I'm hosting my events with my community um, Because actually it's a shared experience, you know, the one thing that does keep creeping in I suppose uh, That I'm still working on is the imposter syndrome thing, mm-hmm. but I've accepted that that will never go, you know, i I bet oprah has moments where she feels like oh gosh can i really do this and then she goes i'm oprah you know everyone (laughs) thinks you just be more oprah i am oprah and i'm sure she's fine um or whatever you know even funny enough last night uh when we were sitting having dinner we were my daughter we were playing some music just on the phone while we were having dinner and she said oh i've had this beyonce song stuck in my head and and uh she said oh i wish i was beyonce you know beyonce is so confident and i said Amy, if if you'd read my book, uh, you see there's a bit in there. And I said, there's a bit in there where I talk about even Beyonce isn't Beyonce. When Beyonce's on stage, she's Sasha Fierce. She's not Beyonce. So all these people, they go, oh, I need to be more Beyonce. Even Beyonce can't be Beyonce. And that is so reassuring. That's exactly the same as you going on stage going, hi, I'm Natalie and I have anxiety. (laughs) Just knowing that even Beyonce can't be Beyonce instantly calms me down because it's it's okay everybody feels like this you know one of the stories that i shared i mainly well i only do this when i'm talking about with women because men can be oh that's disgusting uh is um i i interviewed oprah when i was doing new simon and i didn't sleep a wink the night oh, before I <laughs> because it's oprah and oprah is the queen of daytime tv oprah is the most influential broad female broadcaster on the planet. And you don't wanna mess up interviewing someone who is so good at what she does, but also you want her to like you. you. You know, anybody that you interview that you admire, you want them to go away and go do you know, you're so cool, you can now be my friend. And there's always that little <laughs> bit in my head, it's like, maybe, maybe it'll happen. And I can remember, I didn't sleep awake the night before. And um, I was so sweaty, so sweaty. And uh, I said to the wardrobe, the wardrobe girls i i don't know what to do because i'm gonna i'm on live tv and i'm gonna end up with these huge sweat rings under my arms and that's just gonna be so awful so they went and got some panty liners and they put panty liners in my dress under each armpit and so i interviewed Oprah Winfrey sitting there with panty liners under my armpits (laughs) but i'm so glad i did because then you couldn't see the sweat literally pouring off my body and so i talk about this sometimes when you know and i'm doing events and things to show to the outside world, I was absolutely calm and I was interviewing Oprah Winfrey and I knocked it out of the park and it went really well. On the inside, the sweat was running off me and I had pantyliners liners under my armpits. That's real life right there. That's that's how it all is. And actually, if that's what you need to help you go, go and stick some panty liners under your armpits. Take your shoes off and do it in bare feet. Whatever it is that that works for you, do it. And I kind of think it's, it's very disingenuous to pretend otherwise hmm. that actually you're just uber cool and you get it right all the time nobody gets it right all the time sometimes you can really get it right and all goes well but there's normally a little bit of grit in there that's in your shoe definitely at the same time, you <laughs> know, like what
0: I mean? i'm just smiling through it i'm trying to be very professional honestly it's all fine <laughs> all fine then you come off you go ah, <laughs> you have a breakdown at the side Yeah, (laughs) I mean, uh, you know, some other things, Andrea, that you again you've been very frank about is, you know, the menopause, and and for me, like this is an area that I'm I'm really interested in. You know, I'm I'm coming up to forty myself this year. Perimenopause is something that I really want more information on i'm like i don't know anything about this nobody's telling me anything and so you know when you find women that actually are willing to talk openly about this transitional phase it's amazing and again that's something that you've been very very open about do you do you feel it's important to have these more frank kind of conversations to make people feel less afraid of it and going if it's going to happen but it doesn't mean that you're old and past it it means that you're breathing into a new phase of life where actually I'm kind of just as sexy, I'm, I'm clever, I'm smart, and I've got so much wisdom. It's important, isn't it?
1: It is, and, and what's interesting was I didn't mean to be so open about it originally. Um, that came about, that, this was a few years ago. Again, I was, I was on Lucimin and and uh, basically after a, a lifetime of endometriosis, um and i'd had laparoscopies and and various various things uh, i was told that actually i needed to have a full hysterectomy mm-hmm. so i was i was 46 and uh i was okay i was okay with it in terms of i'd had my children and i I've, I've thought well that I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that um what i didn't realize actually is what that does is that throws you into full surgical menopause which mm-hmm. is a very very brutal experience compared to regular menopause, which can be brutal in, in itself. So, but that was really personal to me. So I told the, the uh, obviously my bosses that I needed to have this time off. I needed to have six weeks off work to recover. Um, and I told the, the the women, and then on the day before I was gonna have the operation, Linda Robson said to me, so what are you gonna say on the on the show today? I was like, what, what do you mean? So, well, you're gonna be off work for six weeks, What are you gonna say? You need to say something or else everyone's gonna think you've been fired. God, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) God, I hadn't even it hadn't even crossed my mind that I would need to say something. And so we were and I but I to me it felt it felt too personal and it felt too yucky because it's a hysterectomy and it, you know we're talking about the menopause and nobody needs to know about that and with about 30 seconds left to go until the show was came off air and literally it's live um she kind of leaned across and went never mind all that you've got some. you've got something to say ain't ya and,
0: uh, <laughs> oh and well, that's brilliant out there
1: <laughs> and i went uh... Um, yes. Well, actually, ooh, uh, this is my last day for a little while because um, tomorrow morning I'm actually going into hospital and I'm having a. and I was so flustered. I actually said I'm having a hystericalectomy instead of a hysterectomy. Um, and so I'm going to be off work for a while. And so anyway, OK, and I can hear the counts on my five, four, three. So I'll see you then. Bye. And, we came in and I was like, yeah, And she went, well, you needed to say something. So, and I could tell you weren't going to do it because I know you so well. Mm. So you needed to do it. Oh my gosh, Linda Robson changed the course of my life. Within 24 hours, 10,000 women had got in touch with the show. It was like a tsunami of women wanting to know information. And I didn't know any of this until a week or so later. And I just thought, you cannot have a platform like you do and not use it to help. And so I started trying to reply to everyone and then realized that wasn't gonna work. So I thought, right, okay, you're a writer write down all the information that you have and put it in book form so that then you can just go, there you go and hand it to people. And I asked my, I was really lucky through the NHS. I was recommended this lovely doctor. Sadly, since then her clinic has had to shut down because of cuts in funding, but she was an expert in the, in the menopause. So I asked her to come on board. She did all the technical doctory stuff. I did the first person. This is was my experience. I looked into supplements, diet, exercise, sex, all these things that are all to do with this part of your life and put it together in into a book. And again, that, that was Confessions of a Menopausal Woman because it was it was like a confession to talk about what it's like. And again, so proud that that went on to become a, a, a best-selling book. Mm-hmm. And I unwittingly for a short time became like this poster girl for the menopause. And I tell you what, not everybody liked it this is what's so fascinating because you would think that actually the planet is made up of, of, of human beings, male and female, biology. I know there are shades of gray and everything else, but half the population of the entire planet is going to go through this one experience. Mm-hmm. If you're fortunate enough to live to that age, yeah. we were supposed to be dead by now. It's because that's, that's why nobody cared about the menopause. You're supposed to be dead by now. That's why nothing's been done about it. But actually, you're halfway through, not halfway done. Mm. So em- embrace it and but be given the information. But not all women liked me doing this. I, t- I tell you what, it was, it was very interesting, the response. Really? It was just as equal the amount of women who took against me for speaking, not out, but just up about the the menopause as it was men, men I understood because I thought they, they're like, oh my yeah. God, I don't, I don't wanna hear anything about this. But uh, just as many women, what the hell are you doing? Why are you banging on about this thing that is just natural? You're just trying to make money from it. You're just, tr-. it was very angry, very angry. Um, I, and uh, <laughs> The amount of times that I wanted to say, I know supplements that could help you. With your <laughs> <anger>. <laughs> you you're clearly in need of maybe some deep breath and oh, some ashwagandha, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, there you go. So for me, I just saw it in a very similar as I did to the this girls on fire book about, um, you know, this is what I learned about overcoming breakdown, burnout, toxic relationships, and everything else. It was the same process. It was putting together all the information that I have about the menopause. And there you are, have have it all. This is my information about mental health and experiences. There you are. And it was as simple as that. There was no other motive to it. I'm a writer. I enjoyed doing it. And also, there are women desperate for information. So there you go.
0: It was literally the, as you just said then, you know, desperate for information and we do need that information. And I love how you've now combined it all with the platform, mm. with the empowerment platform, which is just brilliant. And you not only, you know, do you talk about mental health um, but you do also support female founded businesses and you have a mm. marketplace on there. And that's really important to you, isn't it? And, you know, yeah. tell me about your plans for This Girl Is On Fire, you know, what are you looking to achieve with it? Where do you want to go next with it? Global domination.
1: Yay! <laughs> that's my plan. That's do you know what's fascinating is the the marketplace idea came about because um, there are there are so many women who are just trying to make their way in in the world, and uh, they they've come up with a with a clever idea for a product or a service or or whatever. And just before lockdown last year. I, I, again, it was look. I have this platform. I have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. Um, the, this girl is on fire website, as I say, when it was a blog at the time, even then we were, we were, we were getting tens of of thousands of people logging on every month from 80 countries around the world. So I thought I've got this incredible platform. How can I use it to not just give information up, but actually lift women up. So we came up with this idea of um, launching uh, an online shop, which is so a marketplace, which supports females in business, which sell products, which support women. So it's, it's by women, for women and, and this sort of thing. Because for me, it is absolutely vital that, that women have the emotional and financial freedom to reimagine their future. And the reason I feel so strongly about this is because I know what it is like to be a single parent. I know what it's like to be when you're the breadwinner and you've lost half of everything that you've had and you are now on your own trying to raise two two small children i know what it's like to live in a bedsit saving up 50 pence pieces for heat and light and all you're trying to do is is, is find your way in the world so for me economic freedom is something that is so important for women because unless you have economic freedom you don't have the freedom to make the emotional choices that, that you want. There are women stuck in relationships. There are women stuck in, in environments that actually, if they had more economic freedom, they'd be able to walk away from, from that. So for me, I see this Girls on Fire as on two different levels. I have the the, the membership, which is where I help the community find the sort of, they get the emotional support and the, 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 like I say, the gym training for the mind, where you help strengthen the mind. And then in terms of the marketplace, i i use my platform now we've changed it so yes you can buy all these incredible women's products on our site actually we, we have them on there so you can see them actually when you click it goes off our site we we that's not how we you know how we do things what we do is we push you towards their business and all i'm doing is utilizing my fame my platform to showcase Look what this woman's come up with, and read her story. Because to me, I'm so interested in people's stories. Why did they? Where did they get the idea from? How did they? They build up their their business, and that's what the marketplace is all about. is is just showcasing the awesome women that we have. At, at the moment, it's here in the UK, but my dream is to, and this has been my dream right from the start, is to I want to build this platform out so that there is a "This Girl Is On Fire" on every single continent, because, and I think this goes back to my childhood. I grew up in a, in a third world country. We also, I grew up in the Philippines for a little while as well. Uh, my parents lived in Africa for a very long time. And so my parents were altruistic and we, we naturally, we were brought up to, to give, to give back. And for me, I want to see all oh, this girls on platform, especially in places where women really need, they need the emotional support and the, the confidence building to let them know actually, do you know what I can, but also give them the platform so that if they come up with any kind of entrepreneurial I- idea, they they have the, the space in which to do it. Because I, I know it, I've seen it, that women who aren't as fortunate as to, to live in a country like we do, what they really need is economic freedom to have the emotional freedom that they deserve so that uh, what i'm doing right now actually i have a global plan for it um my, my dreams are so far ahead i want to i want to do work in primary schools i want to catch girls before they get to a point where they're starting to doubt themselves you see a little girl wandering around in a fairy dress and wellies she is absolutely confident in herself mm-hmm. she knows that she looks awesome and she loves her wellies and she loves her tutu but actually she wants to be a fireman you know what I mean? And I think that if we can catch girls before they start to slip through the net in primary school and in secondary schools, um, then hopefully that means by the time they become fully grown women and they do have their ideas of their own, they're not battling all these insecurities mm. that they've kind of built up through their lives. So uh, already I've got a, a few children's books that I've got in my head. We're in, we're in touch with some primary schools now. Um, because moving forward, and I would love it to be in place by September, I want to be able to do events and bring bring some really cool leaders in this field together to do, it will be virtual, because actually, one of the great things we've learned through the pandemic is how how easy it is to bring people together in a, in a virtual way and to do school assemblies, to, to show young children, it wouldn't be necessarily just young girls, actually stay really true to yourself you don't have to change for anybody don't let anybody put you down and and build up that self-belief so um that's my when you when you ask me about you know what do i see for the future it's huge it's huge all out thing. there but yeah, you know the most
0: fascinating thing and the most lovely thing i think is like i'm sitting here now seeing how passionate and liberated it seems you are and just like invigorated by it all and is that really how it feels for you like actually this is mine I'm at the helm of this brand kind of platform and actually the world is my oyster
1: yeah it does and I mean it's it's taken a while to get there you know I I left loose women in December and um you know obviously the the uk was in lockdown it was winter it was dark and yes we had already we'd set our stall out in terms of what we wanted but we were still very at the very beginning of of piecing things together in terms of how the membership would run and we were we were changing things in the marketplace we our climb was like this i mean sometimes it was like this and it was <laughs> sometimes it was like um every day was dark and raining and you were trying to climb up a cliff face and it was slippery and you just kept falling back down again. And there were moments where it, it felt impossible, too big. And what's funny is actually nothing's changed in terms of how big it all is. But what I feel now is I've got traction and I know a lot of that is from in here. And it's because I've stopped doubting myself so much. I think at the beginning when you leave a job in an environment that you've been in for so long and for me it was um well, i was 23 years at, at itv um but 26 years working in, in in television um and not that i've said goodbye to television if something comes along and it, and it fits in with with where i want to, to go then absolutely um but it it was mentally acknowledging that i was just feeling really scared and actually uh, because i was doing I was coming at everything from such a place of fear and tentativeness that actually I was making it a lot harder. Now I realize it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Mm -hmm. And I made a start and I, I know that we will just get better and better. And I'll look back at the things that did at the beginning and think "Mm, that was a bit cringy, but at least I started. And I think again, especially as women, we have this thing that if it's not all perfect and all planned out, then we can't press go. And that's something you need to let go of. Just press go anyway, just jump. You might face plant, but you might fly. You you just don't know. (laughs) Andrea, that is
0: such a perfect place to round us off. What an amazing, amazing conversation. Thank you so much for just sharing all of your brilliant advice and wisdom because I already know like our listeners will just, will take so much away from today. So thank you so much for being with me. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. And thank you for a lovely interview. I enjoyed it oh thank you yeah honestly it's it's been brilliant like I say just so many different parts that I, I definitely know everyone at home you're going to love aren't you yes you are and <laughs> now to find out more about This Girl Is On Fire and how you can get involved with the community then head to www.thisgirlisonfire.com and if you'd like more wellbeing, fashion and beauty then you can always visit us at our website www.thecapsule.co.uk where you can also catch up with our previous podcast episodes by visiting the In Conversation page and subscribing to any of our podcast channels and youtube please keep leaving your rates and reviews i do love hearing your feedback and as always if you're a social butterfly you can also catch us on instagram and facebook at official capsule i will be back next week with another very special guest so all that's left for us to say today is goodbye so it's goodbye from andrea bye -bye. and goodbye from me This episode of The Capsule in Conversation was brought to you by Harrogate Spring Water. Bottled at source, Harrogate Spring offers a pure, refreshing taste with a delicate blend of naturally occurring minerals and electrolytes, perfect for healthy hydration.